0: So, today we're speaking to Michael Simmons, who is a writer and a writing teacher. Now, his writing has been read all tens of millions of times all around the world in publications like Forbes, Fortune, the Harvard Business Review, and Time. And I am really, really excited to speak to him today because, like, I've been a bit of a um, a stalker i suppose is the best word to describe it for the last year or so and i joined up to uh, his mental uh, models club uh, almost a year ago and i've been really really enjoying learning from michael so today i'm really excited so michael welcome
1: thank you dab is really i'm really excited
0: talk to me about the mental models club because like for me i i was there's lots of different things that are impressing me about the mental models club i'll tell you a few of them one is that you only deliver one mental model a month. That's number one, I'd like to talk about that. And number two is the absolute depth of, it's like having a book every month and I am in awe of the depth that you provide once a month. So talk to me about the Mental Model Club. Why did you come up with it? Why are you doing it in this way?
1: Well, you you talk about the idea of constraints. One constraint I've had in my writing that I think has really helped is this idea of sole market fit. I try to write about things such that even if they were never published, I would still be really happy because I enjoyed the process of writing and because I learned a lot. So, uh, it's a slightly selfish aspect in a way, but it also, what I think is really powerful about it is I think number one, the emotions come through in your writing. So if I'm like a kid in the candy store the whole time, I think that comes across. I guarantees that I find the time for it because I'm really just like, oh, man, I really want to get to this. How do I do it? It's kind of like uh, Netflix shows. If there's a really good one you want to watch and it's 9 p.m. and you don't have the time, but this the episode ends and it's on a cliffhanger, you will find the time to watch the next episode. Yeah. So I like having writing like that.
0: And I think what you've done as well with the model, with the mental model club, um, tell me you're thinking on this, is you've, you've played the Netflix game because I am always desperate for the next month's model. I'm like, give me the next month's model. Give it to me now. I can see the list, but you only, you only release one a month. So talk to me about that. Why did you do it that way? Why didn't you just give us everything in one go?
1: I would say two things. Uh, number one is information overwhelm. You know, imagine getting like 15 books or 30 books at once, that's a lot. So, you know, we really tried to order it from the, the starting from the most useful and universal and from there and, you know, mental models are kind of like, uh, you picture, I don't know, I've never used this analogy before, like atoms where atoms can combine with lots of different things like oxygen could combine with hydrogen. And, and so the models work really well by themselves, but they also combine really well. And there's a exponential effect that as you do more, the applications become exponential
0: i like this idea of, of because uh, this <laughs> overwhelm who isn't who doesn't feel just this little bit of overwhelm at the moment i know for me if you gave me the all in one go i know what i would do i would dive to the one that sounded most exciting which was probably the least useful but it sounds most exciting read that and then be overwhelmed with that one and then not come to um the most important one so you said you delivered them in the most useful and most important. first. So what's the first one that you deliver?
1: The first one we start off with is the 80 20 rule. It's one of those that people have often heard of, but they may be applying 1% of it. Um, and we just show how to, uh, you know, you could do a positive version. Then a lot of domains there's positive feedback loop so that a small percentage of things accounts for the majority of the output. So even you look at things like celebrity or, or wealth or impact, you know, a few individuals or organizations can create a disproportionate amount where when it comes to, let's say height, there's never going to be someone who's, you know, a hundred feet tall or a thousand feet tall. Yeah. So it's talking a bell about per,
0: height. I, we, I have to mention that you are like at least a thousand feet taller than me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we are the shortest and the tallest. I think in the uh, we're on the here <laughs> we are the eighty twenty. Now, that you are absolutely right. People think, oh, I know the eighty twenty. I know the eighty twenty. But when I read, and it, it is a book that you deliver every month. It's you know, it's over a hundred pages of in detail content. When I read your version of the eighty twenty, your book, it it made so much more sense. It made I could apply it to more areas, uh, and um, because I couldn't then dive into the next model, I had to think about it, it gave me that pause and chance to think about it. So I think your model is really, really good for the learner. Tell me about why it's good for you, the, the, the content creator.
1: Yeah, well, a few different reasons. One is uh, I really saw that you know, there's different ways of learning. And so there's certain types of knowledge that are immediately useful, but they have a short shelf life, in other words, You could learn about the latest tool and something but then in a year parts of the knowledge could be outdated or in five years and there's other knowledge where the shelf life is the rest of your life and the value increases over time and so i really am a a big fan of compounding and it's amazing how powerful it is and it's often not applied to to learning and so i thought okay i'm going to be learning several hours per day for the rest of my life, I wanna build a base of stable knowledge that I could apply anywhere in my life and that I can really build on top of the other knowledge versus having knowledge where I'm constantly, it's becoming outdated, I'm not sure which part of it's outdated and so on. So that's one reason that I have really valued mental models. Uh, you know, the, the other, the extreme would be, let's say I learned French in, in high school and I have nothing wrong with French, but I spent six years learning it and I never used it afterwards. So I was just like, wow, that's crazy. I spent so much time on that. I've never used it versus let's say a model like the 80-20. Every single day I'm using it. I'm thinking about of all the things I could do, what are the 20% of the things that are gonna create 80% of the impact in the day? I'm thinking about it with my my kids and wife. What are the things that I know that that I really that will have the biggest impact on them in feeling this the connection and letting them know that they're they're number one for me and then yeah i think about it with learning and all the things i'm learning and so and i'm also then inverting it and thinking about okay what are the things that i really want to avoid during the day that cause the biggest negative so for example i track my triggers i think triggers are you know we're we're all triggered several times per day in different ways Sometimes it's just a small thing where we just feel it and then it kind of goes away. Other times we feel it in the background and then it kind of impacts our day where we see an email, it triggers us, and then we go on to the next task, but we still feel anxious. And then other times we have a trigger where we lose it and then, you know, we say something we didn't really mean and we feel bad about it. And so it's amazing how just a little bit of somebody just says something a certain way, just a little, you know, it could even be 10 second thing. And all of a sudden we're living in a different world. And so that's an example where I've been applying the A 20
0: And is there, are there any other mental models that you apply to that? Because I think trigger, I think I, you've hit on a really, really important thing there. Because, you know, like you say, you get up early and I, I trip over a dog, trip over a dog, things happen. Everything seems to collide and crash and chaosify from there. Uh, what, is there a, any, are there any other models that you use to help you when you've um, been triggered?
1: Um. Yeah, it's a really good question. Well, I should first say this is a newer one for me because I've uh, in the past been a lot more on the intellectual side. And it's only through coaching and support that I've really been better at noticing my emotions. So for me, you know, really the first step for me is logging. That I really like logging for a few different reasons. Uh, Number one, it just helps me notice it more. Before I wouldn't, I'd be triggered, but I wouldn't know I was fully. So it helps me just realize okay, wow, this is happening a lot. And therefore it helps me value it more because I could see how it's impacting me, different areas. And then I would say number two, by logging it, it helps me look back and see the patterns and say, oh, interesting. You know, for whatever reason, I feel like something's unfair. That's a big trigger. Or if I feel like I let someone down, that's a really big trigger and I feel guilt. Yeah, yeah. And you just, uh,
0: a couple of things there. One that's most important is you mentioned in your bio um, that I read was that you, you have this ability to see patterns and I'm like, oh God, that is such a fantastic ability. So when you say you have the ability to see patterns, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, well, uh, let me think about what way, way to answer it. Well, I'll say I teach a course on learning how to learn as well and thinking about learning and there's different ways we learn. So one way is you find an expert and that, you know, maybe that person has written a book or something else and you, you learn from them. And then, and that has its advantages, but it has its disadvantages as well. Uh, and then I, there's another form of learning that's often underutilized, which I call platform learning. So uh, platform learning is, we live in a world now where, for example, with article writing, I could look at, there's a tool called BuzzSumo, where they've analyzed over a billion articles. And so I've spent over a thousand hours just in the data and about Sumo and trying to find patterns. Uh, When I'm thinking about uh, a book, I wrote a book when I was younger, but I'm really thinking about working another book now. And one thing I did is I spent, uh, my people on my team spent about 50 hours taking all the New York Times bestsellers and looking at the ones who have been on the list the longest and then looking at patterns for those and that when you look at learning that way, the benefit is rather than just getting one person's perspective on it, you could get a global view throughout time of what actually is performing and who are the very best people who are creating the consistently creating the best results, not people who are uh, one hit wonders or celebrities where anything they write is going to uh, gain traction. So and so I- I've, I've become, pra- I practice the skill of looking at lots of data, and then finding patterns that I could then test. And so
0: it's a skill. So it's something that we could learn. So I can learn to be better at, at identifying spotting patterns if I apply some of the techniques that, that you, you're teaching, for example, in mental models.
1: Yeah. And a very basic way to do it is number one, find the data source. It could, you could license the data source like I did with BuzzSumo. You could cobble it together like I did with the New York Times bestseller list, where there's all these PDFs and I had to put it into an Excel sheet. But uh, so once you have the data, I tried to then get it into an Excel spreadsheet and look at it. And so the principle there is contrasting cases. So for example, if let's say you're seeing trying to understand what a dog is, and I gave you this a dog, five images of a dog, but it's the same exact dog, then you would think, oh, a dog has to be this shape or it has to be this size always. But if I had contrasting cases where I see, okay, uh, a dog, I see a chihuahua is five pounds and a dog who's 100 pounds, I see some have short hair, long hair, and different colors, i it helps me narrow out the things where there's variation and realize, okay, all of the images of dogs, they have this thing in common. And it when you have it in the format of a spreadsheet and you're seeing all these diverse cases it's actually often fairly obvious what some of the patterns are but you would never see them if you're just being the casual book buyer or looking at your social media newsfeed. the pattern you it's much harder to see the patterns
0: i think one of the problems as well for me uh, i've been running some experiments on myself uh, for your social media you never see uh the contrasting you you tend to get smaller and smaller and smaller world where you only see the things that are confirming what you already think a dog looks like, for example and i, I I'm doing an experiment at the moment where I am strangely heading off in down different rabbit holes, not my own my, not my usual enjoyable rabbit holes, but to, to to try and break the echo chamber to look for the contrast to find the edges a bit more. Um, so I really really like this idea that uh, that we can get better at pattern uh, recognition by uh, looking for contrast by looking at the data uh, by not being casual about it so being um, more deliberate about it because I think for me uh, your uh, your mental models club is asking me to be deliberate about what I'm thinking and that's what you're telling me about how you learn it's deliberate so talk to me about this idea of 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 deciding what's going in rather than just allowing any old stuff to get into the brain. Can
1: you, uh, can you ask that question in a different way? Just, I want to make sure I answer it right.
0: Yeah. So we can, we are bombarded with information. And one of the things that I think is really powerful about you is that you chose, for example, for your mental models club, what's the most important thing I want to learn. And then you delivered that learning and then you carried on building the mental models club in the things that were most important. Uh, So how do you make that a deliberate process? How do you know what you want to learn next? How do you know what you want to deliver next?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. The, my first part of the answer is very basic in that, okay, number one is learning how to value learning. And then if you value learning, then there, it's a function of how much you learn is a function of how much time you put in. And then your learning rate, you could kind of think about it like the compound interest formula. It's a function of your principal that you put in, and then also your interest rate. And so uh, number one is putting in the time and finding the time for learning. And that could be deliberate time that I set aside or on the highest energy. It could be double time I call if I'm taking a walk or driving somewhere and I'm listening to something. It could be after a meeting, let's say after this podcast, we would have a debrief or after the next writing project, I have a debrief with the person I worked with. And, okay, what did we do? And like those are examples of setting aside the time. And then learning rate, uh, I think about the, the we have uh, in our course, uh, the idea of a learning loop, that there's a universal learning process that all organisms or any systems go through in order to learn whether you're a rabbit, a human, a comp- machine, which is you take in data, uh, you process and make sense of that data. And uh, so for a computer, that'd be an algorithm. Then you take action and test it in the real world or experimentation and then you get feedback from that and then that feedback helps you go through the loop uh, again better and faster. So the four steps are taking in information and data. Number two is algorithm and processing. Number three is experimentation and action. And number four is feedback. And so uh, it's one of those also system where the the chain is only as strong as the weakest link. So a lot of people, there's a weakness. So for example, some people, they're taking in tons of information, reading a lot, but they're never, so like let's take book writing, they're actually never just publishing and getting it out. They're not taking action. They taking lots of classes, but not writing it. Maybe they're journaling, but not doing publicly. So that's often a big type. And then on the other extreme, there could be someone who's really, really good at taking action on everything but they're always reinventing the wheel and learning through, through trial and error versus really getting the, the great data. And then the feedback one is really, really important, but often forgotten that we all have these huge blind spots of things that we information we avoid because it's painful. And the people we're subconsciously training the people around us to not touch that blind spot. And so, We're taking action but we're getting a inaccurate feedback on our actions so it hurts our whole process so i didn't so that was a broader model of how i think about learning and then more directly to your question about how to choose what to learn uh, i i think about it in terms of uh, a few different categories of multiplier skills Uh, so uh, the acronym i use is funruck that (laughs) It should be uh, useful future, so the F is for future. That imagine the difference between a mod- something you learn and never use, and then something you're going to use for the rest of your day, the rest of your life, guaranteed. Uh, and so, not just thinking about the immediate. Uh, then uh, the U is useful, that something you could use in your life. That's pretty basic. Uh, then N is for now, so it's now and in the future. R is rare. So this is one that people often miss is that in a market, part of what's valuable, what makes something valuable is how this supply or the rareness of it. So for example, if you have a skill that no one else in the world has, like let's say you're the only person in the entire world that knew how to teach people how to write books, that's very different than if a billion people in the world are already proficient at that skill then your skills, you're gonna be a commodity. And so one of the ways to get this rare uh, skill sets is to just focus on things, reading books and articles that no one else is reading in your field. And I, was, I learned this through mistakes and trial and error on my end where uh, I was just, I thought for the beginning part of my career, I thought, okay, I got this stake updated on the latest articles in my field. And that's the key. And I realized at best, I'm always just staying up to date with everyone else, but I'm always behind a little bit. And the big transition for me was learning about network science when I was writing for relationships about, with Forbes. And so as soon as I started talking to people, I started to write articles where people were like, oh my God, I haven't heard that before. So, and I just realized, and then now I've just, just done that over and over. I've tried to find fields that are just, are incredibly powerful, but no one that I know is exploring them.
0: Tell me the
1: rest of the letters, and then I'm coming back to that. Oh yeah, it's important. rock, <laughs> uh, fun so F-U-N-R-U. Uh, can't believe I got the, the U. This I'll, I'll come to me uh, the second U. But uh, oh, universal. So a lot of times when we're learning something, we it can let's say I don't know you're in a field of grass and how to make grass grow faster and all the knowledge you learn is just about making grass go faster. If you switch that field, you you can't use that knowledge. But uh, there's the way of learning knowledge or certain types of knowledge that are really apply across different fields. And that's part of the reason I love mental models of you know, learning the 80-20 rule or positive feedback loops, things like that. You can apply it in your personal life, your professional life. And so the return on investment's a lot higher. And then the this the next is uh, complementary. So certain knowledge, when you combine them together, is has a very big multiplier. So, for example, if someone's really really good at product and creating a great product, and then they learn sales as well, then that's really a great multiplier. Where sometimes somebody's really heavy on one thing, and they've never learned sales or persuasion, so. They're constantly undercharging, not having clients, even though they're good at the technical skill.
0: Brilliant. Okay, I love that acronym. You've got an article about that that I can share to people, is there?
1: Not yet, it's just in our course. And it's a mental Ah. model too. Multiplier skills mental model.
0: Ah, so if they join the mental models club, they'll get that one when we get to multipliers, fantastic. And you you do a seven day trial for your mental models club, so people can- uh, Yeah, it's a $1 trial. $1 trial, fantastic. Okay. So that's it. I'll, I'll put a link to that for people to get started. Okay. So, um, this idea of, of reading the latest information in your industry and keeping up with the latest information industry, industry, I, I find that fascinating because like, uh, uh, also you said earlier about learning something that you're never going to use again. I'm an electronics engineer. Oh my God. I did my, I got a first class degree in electronics. I've never used that in my life. It was just, it, I, I learned a lot about learning, but it didn 't really help me very much in my career. so choosing the right so it is a very sore point for me choosing the right thing to learn to to go ahead and um, and this idea of the, and combining the right thing to learn but also reading wider than your industry uh, that those two combine that, that, that creates a, the, a, a fantastic combination of skills and information that very, very few people in the world will have. Uh, so, yeah. you said, I did it wrong, I learned that by mistake. Tell me what you did wrong, you had, you, you, you had to learn this way. What happened, what went wrong?
1: You know, as, as I learned, well, I feel like a lot of things, as you know, learning how to learn is a skill, and I didn't even realize that until pretty far in, and most people don't. And how we learn learning is, we don't really learn it ever in school, and the context we learn it in school, in some ways is hurtful because we're studying for a test. And so in the world of studying for a test, you know, the keys are memorization and speed reading. So a lot of people, the first questions they have on learning how to learn are related to those two. But, you know, focusing on speed reading is like, you know, focusing on being more productive by typing faster. Typing faster, you know, will help you write more, but it's not gonna be the fundamental thing that makes you a great author. I've never heard one author say once that that's the key to <laughs> typing typing faster is the key to being uh, the next great novelist. No. And so, you know, I'd see one of the first mistakes I made. So I, I got lucky. I got, I started becoming fascinated by learning at a young age. I started a business in 16. I started spending hundreds of dollars per month, all the money that we made in the business, investing in learning because I saw, oh wow. Everything I want to get better at in the business, somebody's already written a book about it. And so why I'm happy to spend $20 doing that because it's just been a great uh, return. And so I think the first mistake was basically, let's say I want to learn web development, which is one of the first things I learned. I would just buy any book. My criteria was if somebody's written a book, it must be really good. It must be, <laughs> I could learn a lot from it. So then I realized, okay, a lot of people who who write books aren't experts true or they're not world the world-class expert and there's a really big difference between learning something from a a world-class expert and somebody who's who's good you'll get fundamentally different strategies so then uh, afterwards my next filter was okay i shouldn't get all the books i should just get books from people who are successful but then i i learned that there's all these biases that you know some people are successful a lot of people happen to be in the right time at the right place. In other words, you know, they're they're positive, hardworking people, so they have these base traits. But all, there was an element, a lot, element was a large luck part of it, and they take credit for that. And uh, Nassim Taleb has a book uh, called "Fooled by Randomness." Yeah. And one of the, my favorite examples is you just think about flipping a coin. That if somebody's flipping a coin a billion times, you're going to have somebody who flips heads a thousand times. And it just, it's just going to seem crazy when that happens. And of course, they must be a great coin flipper, but that's not always the case. And uh, give me one second. My, my dog is trying to, trying to get into the room.
0: Go for it. Oh, what a cutie. <laughs> joining your cat.
1: Yeah. He's trying to cat, trying to find space on the couch with the cat lounging.
0: <laughs> so you were telling me yeah. about coin flipping.
1: Yeah. So then I realized over time and I also met a lot of entrepreneurs and I can kind of see that some people either tell their story and again, you'd, you know, you'd see the ambition they were very hardworking, but there was just a, an element to being at the right time in the right place. And so, the biggest the, and the latest flip for me was realizing that, uh, okay, how do I find people who are successful, extremely successful in their given area or their in their expertise, not because of their one hit wonder or luck alone or celebrity, but uh, because of skill. And so I, I created kind of more strict criteria and it's still not perfect, but it's a lot uh, more strict, which is, you know, people who've been successful in a really big way, multiple times, even in different industries uh, and, or people who've had a business and then it just, they keep on reinventing it and, and go into new categories. Like Amazon would be an example. They start off selling books. Then he went into, uh, you could be like, Oh, okay. He just got lucky starting books, a book business, right? At e-commerce at the right time. But then they started to go into AWS and create the one of the biggest companies there and all these, now they're doing so much. Uh, so, you know, people like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or uh, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, you'll have these incredibly long track records. Uh, you know, granted, I know that now that there's uh, criticism of them, uh, you know, now because they're so wealthy, like, you know, there's the wealth disparity. And also there's a backlash against tech and uh, they're not very diverse. So. Uh, I'll admit that, but I would also say that there's just so much to learn from them. And what I saw is that uh, there's a very, very different way of thinking. And that's how I actually got into mental models of realizing that they, when they went into a domain, they basically created a map of it and then stress tested that map of different models. And they thought in models.
0: Yeah. I want to sort of flip around a bit. I've got so many different questions and I'm trying to work out which to keep us within our time slot, which is, which is the question that's going to give us the most. Ooh. So I've got three questions that for me are really important. So I hope, they're going to, I hope I'm picking the right questions. The final question is going to be I want to talk to you about your Blockbuster Writing Program. And in particular on that question, I want to talk to you about uh, the launch and how you shared information about it. such a fantastic launch. But I want to back up two more things first. Um, one is what systems do you use to actually, it's, it's a joint question. the, The two questions you are active on Twitter, massively active on Twitter. You are, you have half a dozen Facebook groups. I've lost count of how many Facebook groups that are incredibly active. So one is one part of this double part question is how do you get so much output and two, is it because you've got a system? And if so, what's the system, tell us what, how you manage this. Fantastic volume of really interesting content and don't get overwhelmed. What's what's your system? How does it work?
1: Well, it starts off with that sole market fit. I'm learning about things I'm just fascinated about. So putting in the time. Then the second model would be, uh, I call it more like the sell your sawdust model that you picture a lumber mill. You know, their main business is selling lumber and chopping up the lumber. And in the process of doing that, there's all the sawdust on the ground. And that's considered a waste product, but actually, no. That could be a product and turn into a product in and of itself. And writing, I saw writing was very similar. So I started off working on blockbuster articles. So I'd spend like sixty hours just on one article, and in the process, I would come up, look for quotes and then pick, you know, maybe twenty quotes and then pick three, and then I would research. You know, read a lot of articles. Let's say I was writing an article on Elon Musk. I'd read the book about him. I'd read the profiles and I would take a few ideas from it and throw, throw away 95%. Or uh, and I might learn about mental models and then just not use a lot. So I just saw that number one, there's an incredible amount of waste in the sense of there's things that would be valuable if I found the right format. So the Facebook groups, Twitter, are all examples of me selling the sawdust in a way. It's something I was already doing and then now it so we have for example we have a smart quotes group who started in February has about uh, 16,000 people in it now and it's growing by about a thousand people per week and all it is is we put one or two quotes per day into that group so we take and so now rather than a quote just being a component of an article it is the article it's the whole content piece and what that also helps us is understand patterns of quotes of uh, what and you can also see what quotes perform a lot better, and things like that. So there's kind of it's another source of data as well. And so, so this is
0: so you're actually using your your out so the sawdust your output to um, get feedback from the market about what's interesting so to see the patterns that are interesting. So you you're creating kind of like a really virtuous circle.
1: Yeah, to use your language, minimum viable asset. Yeah. That is thinking about what are all the things that going into the process. And there's this, you wouldn't think about all of the ways. So let's say for me coming up with an idea, I read books. So I have to search books and then I have to find the best book. So people love book recommendations, but, and so that alone is powerful. Then same thing. I find a lot of people Then certain people are really like, okay, these are people, great people to follow. So you can make a recommendation of thought leaders you like. For example, I did a post in our learning how to learn group about Nassim Taleb and why uh, I admire him as a thought leader. And then, as I'm writing, there's there's always uh, moments where I'm like, oh wow, that's a really interesting thing. So I could take that excerpt, and maybe that wouldn't be a good fit for the article I'm working on, but that could be a great quote for the smart quotes group, or another group I want to launch in the future uh, around book excerpts. And so, if I'm just reading a book naturally, the process of sharing the information is linked with the learning and uh one of the mental models this is one that i've coined is the explanation effect that one of the best ways to learn something is to teach it to others yeah and so it's great because it helps me learn the things better and it gets a feedback loop going and helps me you know help other people build a better reputation build followers. And now across all our different platforms, we have about 10,000 new followers per week.
0: Wow. And I mean, that is quite, quite seriously impressive. I know that lots of my clients would be just so, so pleased with that type of number of following every week. So, um, how much, I want to know more about the nitty gritty of actually doing this. So like, I can understand the the mental process now, I've got that, but what's the nitty gritty? I mean, you've got Ian, he's your sidekick. I don't know how you and Ian work together. Do you have an administrator? Do you, or are you two guys, are you the guys that like, just make everything happen?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So I, I uh, there's a key part that I, I didn't mention is, so I work with someone uh, AJ Nair, who's great. Who's able to take, let's say I write an article, he's able to really good at finding the parts that he feels are the most interesting and then chopping it up into a short post and then putting it into Facebook groups. So I'm not creating all the Facebook group content uh, as well. So there's that as well.
0: Yeah, because otherwise when would you have time to think?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and one thing, I guess the third thing is, you know, I, there's the model of what is a thought leadership business. And I feel like it's uh, It's really a lot more people are becoming thought leaders and valuing it before. You know, you had to get a publisher or an editor at a magazine to get published. Now anyone can publish and it's becoming more important. You know, maybe before if you were a CEO or an entrepreneur, you kind of purposely stay below. But now even people like Elon Musk, he's done 12,000 tweets, which is just crazy that he's done that. And it's really impacted him. Yeah, he is such a brand that you know, yeah. it almost definitely has a huge impact on a stock price. And yeah. so uh, there's, so the question is what does, what's the ideal way to do that? And, you know, I, I believe that the leverage you can get from being uh, really good at the skill of creating content and understanding the virality and having rare and valuable ideas is really high. So I really try to guard my time. And my goal is doing three to four hours per day I'm not always lucky because it gets, you know, as you try to build a system, then I'm spending more time on the system and so, but I do my very best to really guard that time and fight for it because it's very easy to, you know, for meetings to come up or other things that, that uh, hurt that.
0: And you need time to be with your cat and dog.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep.
0: And, and to organize bookshelves. Uh, nine animals color. in the house right now. Nine. Oh gosh. Uh, we've got in the house probably about 60.
1: Oh my gosh! Wow. We've got a
0: farm, so yeah. Okay, I must yeah. Come and go, so yeah. I, my, I've got big dogs and little dogs and things, but I've got to. Th- you, you, have also got to keep guard time for organizing your bookshelves in color code because that is the most beautiful bookshelf <laughs> I've seen for a really long time. I love it. Did
1: yeah, you know that? my, I got headshots for the first time in fifteen years, so I'm no longer twenty-four years old on the internet, <laughs> and my my daughter uh, was kind enough to help me organize the bookshelf for.
0: It's brilliant. I love it. It's it's such a smart way of doing it. I mean, it, it, I I have such an eclectic mix of books from so many different years, and it, I love the idea of color coding your books. I think I should do that. Yeah, um, yeah. I think everybody should do that. I think I'm going to start a trend for you. Like follow Michael, color your code your bookshelves. Okay.
1: There's even places where you could buy color coded book. Like let's say you don't have enough blues, you can. I think there's an Etsy site or something like that.
0: Well, there's probably an interesting pattern in in your color of the books as well. I'm sure that you've probably been thinking about, you know, what how many books are red, blue. I mean, there's like maybe there's some interesting pattern in there. What what? Type that
1: is actually hadn't thought about that, but it is interesting the
0: psychology that color. of color of books
1: like there's no purple books or why red, yellow, mm-hmm. and blue as almost
0: not many. Green, not really no, many in any the it? other categories. No. Interesting.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Okay. Now, I want to. I, the thing that's most important to me that I want to talk to you about now is the Blockbuster Writing Program. Now, you launched that a little while ago and you put a post out that saying, i talked about the launch and how fantastic it went. Tell us about the book, the Blockbuster Writing Program. What's it all about? How could we get on it? And uh, where to go and find it?
1: It's a live program. We do one or two times per year, two times. And, uh, we just started our third cohort in July and, uh, it's a year long program where, uh, there's a, and we really, where we have, where we wanted to focus on helping people get mastery and results because what I realized during the first two cohorts is that as much as we try to cram everything in, it does take time to develop the skill, to develop the the mindset and to get that momentum and feedback and all of that. And so I feel really, really good about that. And it's helping people with online writing. And so getting their, um, finding their trademark idea that they're known for, uh, how to package it into an article such that it rises above the noise and spreads virally, and that they can use the content to get into top publications and to, to build their business
0: where do we go to get that? I mean, so, so I know that you say it goes cohort by cohort. So when's the next enrollment and how would we find out about it?
1: The next enrollment is going to be in the fall. We haven't gotten an exact date yet, but uh, the web, our website is bseminal.com.
0: Okay. I shall make a note of that in the links below. So, okay. I'm going to ask you the question I ask everybody. So we're sort of coming to the end because I promised I wouldn't go over too much. Um, the question I've been asking everybody, and lots of people have been struggling with this question, is when was the last time you did something for the first time?
1: Uh, given the nature of what I do, I'm constantly doing that, I would say. So even this morning, I was reading a book on sentence diagramming. And uh, the reason is I, I have a, there's a, an art, I wanna become better at visualizing the writing. And, uh, there's somebody I found who's, I really admired through doing the, the date, look at the data. And then, wow, this person's just consistently creating stuff. I had a coaching call with her and I just realized, wow, she's just not unconsciously competent where she just does it. But you just, know she very much knows what she's doing. So she recommended this book. I'm going to have a second call, but it's, I never thought I would be going back to sentence diagramming and, uh, you know, practicing the, the visuals. And, uh, I just bought, uh, this uh, I'm, still, I'm still very early stages at trying to get better at doing uh, art, which I haven't done since high school, early high school.
0: Uh, I I bought a pad about a year ago now for that very same reason to draw, to scribble, to, to, because I have my little own scribbles all around, but to put them on a pad and then actually be able to do something with them afterwards. So yeah. I, and I've noted recently, so is this, is this a recent thing for you? Your, uh, your images that you're producing at the moment are, uh, they're just beautiful they're fantastic they're beautifully branded but they're so succinct there's just some this they're, they're, they're fantastic is this because of the work you've been doing with uh uh with your paddle with um yeah thing? well I've spent
1: so the sentence diagramming is new but I, I decided I really wanted to learn this in May or June so I probably put about 50 hours into and I'm also working with a designer now as well just studying the patterns, this goes back to platform learning of trying to find the patterns of great visuals and trying to get it down to the, that basic, very basic level of almost like with math, you get it down to there's numbers, then there's operators like plus minus sign and things like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've got, uh, I don't know Have you, um, these books are some of my favorite books.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I have that one. Both of those. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I love books like this. I just like the little squiggles, the diagramming.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it really facilitates a different way of of thinking.
0: Yeah, yeah. and what I've been trying to do is when I've been on conference calls or uh, calls with people, I've been trying to draw what they're saying. And then Uh, I send it to them afterwards. And they're like, oh my God, anyway, it's a crap. They're rubbish drawings. But that doesn't matter for them who hadn't thought of doing that. It makes a massive, massive impact on their way of looking at what they said.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That's a great way to practice that skill as well.
0: And also keeps me concentrated because I've been on so many conference calls, the COVID conference calls, whatever you want to call them. I've been (laughs) on so many and it's like, sometimes you just drift off, but it's a way of concentrating the mind on what they're saying.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I might have to to use that.
0: Try play that game. Okay. So is there anything I haven't asked you that you really want to tell me? No. Okay, so,
1: so this is a lot of fun. Yes, yeah, really awesome questions. And it was uh, an honor to be on.
0: And I think that perhaps next year, when you're into writing your book, uh, maybe we can have another call and I'll interview you again and find out how your book's going. And then you can share your, your um, progress with the book. That would be fantastic for people. To That'd
1: see. be awesome. I'd love that.
0: Okay. So thank you, Michael. I'm going to put all the links in below uh, where people can find out everything about you, including the Blockbuster Writing Program, and maybe join you in the fall uh, for the next cohort. Thanks. Speak all to right. you right. You're
1: welcome. Bye, Dubs. Yeah.